Kind of makes you jump, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's this, this word that we know that something not good is about to happen. We want to flinch, we want to duck, we want to run for cover, we want to hide. Something is bad and the darkness maybe makes it worse because we don't know where it's coming from or where it is. But there's this sense of, of danger when we hear the word, look out. But that lookout has some other meanings as well, doesn't it? For example, you could be on a fire watch, you can have a lookout, and you can be uh, above the fray and look out and get some uh, perspective on things and see how the battle is going and see the lay of the land and see what's happening and where we're going and who's coming and who's going, this sort of thing. There's a lookout, that, that sort of thing. Look out, right? And then, of course, there's this other sense of just means in general uh, to look beyond ourselves, to look outward. To look beyond our circumstances, our interests, and our being and our feelings, and to look out at a greater perspective and with other people and other things in mind. Now, as I mentioned last time, what we're into here in, in these chapters in John, uh, verse 13 and now 14 and so on, it's, it's the last speech of Jesus before he goes to the cross. It's the, the farewell talk, as they say. And, and all of these meanings of look out are captured in what Jesus has to say uh, in this passage that we're going to look at this week, but then even actually up and through into chapter 17. We know, you see, that Jesus knew that the disciples were about to enter a very dark period of time, a time of confusion, a time of lostness, a time when what they thought was, they realized isn't, and where they thought the things were going, it wasn't going to go there at all. And they were about to suffer a threat and the loss of their leader, the one in whom they placed all of their trust. And we saw last week that, that as Jesus began to teach them, they began to have some trouble. Because Jesus warned them, you're going to fail. In this time of trouble that's coming up ahead here, you are going to stall, you are going to slip, you're going to mess up, you're going to deny me, you're going to be afraid, all of these, you are going to fail in who you think you are and who you are, but that's okay. Because we're all going to do it. These times of trouble will come, but there is hope. And not only is there going to be this inner turmoil that we talked about last week and the, the struggle and the boiling up of water of our emotions, but Jesus knows also that this external pressure is going to come as well as their very, very lives are actually threatened. And Jesus wants them to have some perspective in times of trouble. You know, uh, across my feed, somehow or other, this Tony Robbins, you know, the big motivational guy and so on. And he sort of came across with an advert for one of his courses, probably. But he just talked about it. He said, you know, the thing is really difficult to be positive right now. And people are afraid and the world is in trouble. And it, it's hard to imagine things going well and all of these things. And so, you know, he's going to offer them a course as how to get these through these times of anxiety and questioning and trouble and maybe even darkness. Well, there's somebody that's a bit wiser than Tony Robbins and has been giving uh, advice for a bit longer than that. And that is Jesus and really what I want to, is to have in mind to sort of capture is this whole idea. In times of trouble, look out. 
look out with all of these different meanings that we've just sort of had. Now, you remember the context, they're eating together, bit of a debate whether it was a Passover supper or not, but they're eating together, it's kind of their last supper, and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, I'm going to away, and you can't come right now, but one of you is going to betray me, and so and you, Peter, you're actually going to deny me. It's going to be a difficult, difficult time, and you're going to have this internal trouble, but I'm going to be crucified, and you're heading into some very, very troubled water, not just internally, but externally. So what do we do when we're in the midst of these troubled waters, in these dark times, when the darkness just seems to have a hold of us? Well, let's see what Jesus had to say. The first thing is, look out to God. He just talked about this great trouble, and then he says this, but listen, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, this is kind of an interesting phrase, this whole thing, you believe in God, believe also in me, because it can mean two different things. That the way in which it's spoken and the word is done, it can mean either a command or a statement. And so there's a combination, four different combinations, right? It could be, hey, here's the statement, you believe in me, and here's another statement, uh, you believe in God. Or it could be a command, hey, believe in God, believe in me. Or it could be a combination. You believe in God, now believe in me. It's some kind of a weird combo. It could mean any of those, but I'm persuaded that what he's saying is this. Listen, you need to understand that you believe in God. You are good Jewish boys. Here you are gathered, and we're going to head into some difficult times. And you believe in Yahweh. That's good. It's a good thing that you do that. But now what I want you to understand is you also need to believe in me. Because as he's going to go and explain on, as we'll see in the verses below, He's going to make very, very preposterous almost claims if it wasn't true. And that is he also is God. And he's in the Father. And the Father is in him. So look out to God. Believe not only in the Father, but believe also in me. And what he's saying is that, listen, you need to get beyond those feelings of disappointment. As we talked quite a bit of last week, get beyond the feelings of shame when we fall down and we stumble and we're not who we're meant to be. Get beyond, beyond those feelings of fear when we feel that darkness coming in and we just don't know where it goes. All these emotions can, take, can rise up within us and it can capture us. And we've become very, very self-absorbed. And as we do that, we can just sort of go into this downward spiral. And Jesus says, listen, when that's happening, just stop looking inward for a moment and instead look out at the God who is the Lord of all and the Jesus. Jesus, who died for you because he loves you that much. Don't be captured by self-preoccupation. That is a road to despair and discouragement and lostness even further. Instead, look out to God. Now, when Jesus says this, he's not just talking theoretically. He's not just talking out of his hat. He's not just saying that, hey, this is a good idea. Instead, what he's doing is he's saying, this is actually what I do. You might remember back in chapter 12, and you will remember because we're going to put it up on the screen here, that Jesus says this, now my soul is troubled, and it's the same word. He said, don't be troubled. Why? He said, my soul is troubled. I'm going through this time of questioning. I'm going through this time of pressure. I can feel the darkness coming in me, and you're trying to get a hold of me. My heart, my soul, the very core of my being is troubled. And so what am I going to say, says Jesus? Should I get out of this situation? Father, save me from this hour. Let me out. Get me out. I don't want to do this. No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, 
glorify your name. You see what Jesus does? He gets, begins to become overwhelmed with what lays before him of the betrayal of his friends, the darkness of his death, the crucifixion. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of these different things. And he begins to be overwhelmed with this. And he says, so what should I do? Should I escape from this? No, what I need to do is I need to look to the Father and I need to look to his mission. And I need to look at the purpose for our existence. God's dwelling place is. Wherever God touches earth, where heaven touches earth, that is the language that is used there. So, it could be sort of what the normal reading that you probably have heard all along is. It could be that this idea of heaven, and we go to heaven, but the important thing to realize there is that it's a single mansion. It's not like we all get our own mansions all separate. No, the idea is that it's all together, and there's this mansion, there's this place of the dwelling place of God, and we all dwell together in this place where God dwells. Could be that. It could be a bit of a nuance of that, and it's this, that Jesus is first of all talking about heaven, and he's going to come and he's going to get us, but heaven isn't the permanent home. Heaven is a stopover place on the way to the ultimate. There's big language about what, whether that room, that house, that the language he uses means temporary stopping place or carrying over, all kinds of debates. But the idea is that heaven is a place where we are held after we die, until God brings about the new creation. That is the understanding of the Alberta Motor Association. <laughs> and I know this because they sent us a letter. As you know, a couple of weeks ago, Sheena's dad, Roy, graduated to glory. And so Sheena went and you know, canceled all the insurance. And we owe you a refund of $235, very important. And Sheena says, Alan, listen to this letter. We're sorry to see you go but hope you'll consider us again in the future. <laughs> so I don't know if they're thinking about a zombie life, you know, <laughs> or if they're into the new creation stuff. But this whole thing is that, that, that God is going to come and, and heaven is a place where we go to, but, but it's not the ultimate. There's the new creation where the heaven comes to join the earth, there's new heaven and new earth, all those things that happen together. And, and it could be that Jesus is speaking about that. Some people say, no, 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 it's not that at all. There's a third option. And this temple language is the language for the church. And he's going to go on, just like the Apostle Paul does, you know, he talks about how, how the church is the temple of God, the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And it could be that, 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 uh, that Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to go away, but it's okay, I'm going to come back, because I'm going to put you in a body of believers that in your times of trouble, in your times of darkness, in your times of despair, in your times of confusion, in your times of all those things, you are not going to be alone in that, but you're going to be surrounded by a group of people filled with the Holy Spirit who will love you and walk with you through those times. And it won't make it all better, but boy, it feels better to be with people than alone as we travel through these difficult, difficult times. And so it could be any one of those three, but number two is probably the best option. Now, the second thing is, they said, okay, but what about this whole thing about my return? When's he coming back? What's, what's his return? Because the, the problem is, of course, Jesus kind of comes... Kind of like three ways, three times. 
It could be that Jesus is talking about, listen, don't be scared. You're going to see me hang on a cross and you're going to see me die. But don't think that that's the end. Don't fall into despair because I'm going to rise from the dead. And when I rise from the dead, I'm going to come and I'm going to visit you. And I'm going to show you that actually you have victory over death and you have victory over life because I have conquered death on the grave and I've risen from the dead. And I'm now coming to show myself to you so you can be sure that death is not the end for you. There is resurrection. There is life again. Or he could mean, I'm going to come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we go through this final discourse, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. You can almost read it and not notice very much about the Holy Spirit here. But the Holy Spirit is actually a bit of a thread that winds all the way through this teaching. And Jesus, as we're going to see next week, he's going to talk about how, how he's going to come to us and dwell within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Because Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one. The Trinity. And so Jesus could be saying, number one, yeah, don't worry, you know, I'm going to come back to you. You're going to see that I'm going to be rising from the dead, so it's not going to be a time of despair. Or number two, it could be, hey, don't worry, I'm going to come back and I'm going to dwell among you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to dwell within you. In the person of the Holy Spirit. Or thirdly, he could be talking about the time we're all waiting for. The time at the end of the age when the heavens will split open and the Son of God will return to make all things right. And there'll be no need for the Son. Because God himself will be our light. And all will be made right. And the darkness and the fear and the confusion and the losses and the tears will disappear. And so you can see there's some combination of all of these things. And we can really get bogged down to figure out which one it is. And we can talk about it and debate about it. And that's kind of neat. But, but the point is actually... That that's not really Jesus' main point in this teaching. What Jesus really wants us to understand is, yeah, we can sort through all those things and it's kind of neat and it's kind of hold on to, but here's what Jesus needs to understand. Is this, in the times of trouble, when we're going through those troubled waters, where there's internal stuff and sense of failure or shame or whatever it is that we talked about last week, or external darkness and pressures that come upon us, what Jesus wants to understand is that, listen to me, you dwell in the Father's house. You dwell in the very presence of the living, almighty God. And what God wants us to understand is that he is offering to us an image of safety and of peace and of security and of hope because we dwell in the presence of God. The God who is the creator and Lord of all. We are in his presence. We live in that place. That is our existence. That is our reality. And secondly, the whole idea of this, you know, he's got this house and it's many rooms. That's the statement of sufficiency. That's God saying, listen, no matter what your trouble is, no matter how boiled up the waters of your life are right now, I have for you all that you need to get through it and to live. And as a matter of fact, even to have abundant life 
in the midst of these things. Look out, disciples, as Jesus is saying. There's trouble ahead. But you need to look to God. And you need to look into the future. But here's kind of the neat part is that we live in that future now. Because Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And what he was promising the disciples, we claim and have in our complete life right now. The power of the Spirit who leads us and guides us and empowers us to get us through these troubled times. We already live in the future because Christ has ascended and the Spirit has come. <laughs> and Jesus is saying that you need to get all of this because this is the way of life. And you know, you can't come where I'm going now, but you know the way that I'm going, which of course raises the question from the disciples. I mean, it's getting pretty confusing for them because the resurrection hasn't made sense, hasn't happened yet. And it's, what are you talking about? We don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? We don't even know the destination. How are we going to know how to get there? Well, Jesus says you need to look along the way. Let's pick it up at verse 5. So Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we possibly know the way? And Jesus answered these famous words. I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. How can we know the way? We don't even know where you're going. And Jesus says, you don't think you know the way? Well, you know me, and I am the way. And so if you know me, you know the way through the darkness that is about to hit you. You know the way through the path to the place of the Father, this place of security, this place of empowerment, this place of, of protection, of sufficiency. You know me, you know the way to the Father. And if you follow me, I'll get you to the place that you need to be. And so he sort of says it in this descending way. I am the way to the Father. Well, why am I the way to the Father? I am the way to the Father because I am the truth. I am the full revelation of God and his plan. I am the one way through which God has designed your life to flow. And because I am the truth... That means that I am the life, the fullness of life for all eternity. Do you see how that flows? I'm the way. Why am I the way? Because I'm the truth. I am the one that God has sent to show you the way. I am the reality of the truth. And all of these other lies that the world throws upon you that you can conjure upon yourself, that get you confused and get you downtrodden, that the enemy throws and the shame and the guilt and, and all of those things. No, no, no. I am the truth. I am the one that is speaking reality. And if you'll follow me, my way, the truth, then you will have life. Not just life eternal, but the fullness of life 
even in the midst of troubled times. In the midst of these times that we are in trouble, we need to look out and see that Jesus stands before us and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come and follow me, and I will help you in the midst of this trouble. Because I will take you to the Father. I will take you to God. And the disciples are like, okay, now you're talking. Now you're talking. Now the Father, now God is getting involved in all of these things. Let's look out for the Father. And so we pick it up in verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. And and that's going to be enough for us. Because, I mean, if God's there, if he's God, it's good enough. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe the evidence of the works themselves. Book of Science, first 12 chapters. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father will be glorified in the Son, that you may ask me for anything in my name. And I'll do it. There's a tinge of sadness in Jesus' words. When Philip speaks up and says, oh great, we're going to talk about God, we're going to talk about the Father being involved. Show us the Father. Show us the Father. You man, you show us God the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus says, don't you know me after all this time? Do you not yet believe who I am after all of these signs that I have been doing and all of this teaching that I have done? You've been with me so long, and yet you don't know me. You know, I was meditating on that, on that verse a few months ago now. And I thought to myself, I've been with Jesus a long time. I came to Christ when I was 17 years old in this church. So that's... Sadly, quite a while ago now. How well do I know Jesus? I mean, really, how how well do I know the living Jesus? In all of his humanity, in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, in all of his humility, in all of his kindness, in all of his truth. I've been with Jesus a long time. Truly, how well do I know him? And sometimes I think perhaps not as much or as well as I should. And then I sort of think, well, why would that be? How is it that, that, you know, I maybe don't know Jesus as well as I should, so that in these times of trouble, I don't, I get shaken a little bit. How is that? And I don't know if it's right or not, but sometimes I wonder if it's because... I'm really only interested in Jesus as he relates to me and sort of, you know, how good he is to me, how 
what I can get from him, so to speak. You know, back in the Bible college, they talked about how to date, because that's where you go to Bible college. <laughs> and, I, and I can remember them, them saying this thing, and it's this, it says, listen, you know, if you, if you want to date well, you've got to be interested in the other person for who they are, not just for what you can get or who they are to do with you. Because it's only when you have that interest in the other person that you really value them, that you really get to know them, that you really uh, uh, discover who they are and you kind of forget about yourself. Uh, that, that's, when, that's the foundation of kind of a healthy thing is when you both do that. But it's a similar thing with Jesus. When I only encounter Jesus just for who I need him to be at this moment, it's so easy for that to disappear. At least in part because Jesus sometimes doesn't do for me what I want him to do. As a matter of fact, he very rarely takes my advice on how things should be. I just was challenged as I meditated on that. How well do I know Jesus? Not knowing Jesus as he relates to me. But encountering Jesus for who he actually is. On his own stance. Without regard his relationship to me. Of course, it's almost impossible to do because Jesus is all about us, his people, his children. And so it's very difficult to separate, but we have to encounter the living Christ for who he is. Anything less than that is a shaky foundation because it's not a complete enough picture of who Jesus is. And so Jesus says, have you been with me this long? And you still don't know me, Philip. <laughs> and then he goes on, he says, you need to understand that I'm God. And in language that's hard for us to get our minds and our hearts around, he talks about the Trinity. He's going to talk about the Holy Spirit next week. Don't you know that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? We, we dwell in each other. We are so interconnected as individual persons that we are in fact one. And our character and our mission and our life is one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen my character, you've seen the character of the Father. If you've seen the character of the Father, you've seen the character of the Son. And if you don't believe this, then take a look at the miracles, at the signs I've been doing, and consider how many times I've done things which you good Jews know only God can do. And I've made claims about myself which you good Jews know really only God can claim about himself. I am the Father. And in these times of trouble, understand this. And understand that when you see me, you see the heart of almighty God for you. Because you see my heart for you and for the broken and the lost and the disenfranchised and those who dwell in darkness. And we find in that great relief. But Jesus doesn't leave them there, does he? He goes on, he says, but there's one other looking out that you need to do, and that is that you need to look out into the mission 
You need to look out into the purpose that you are around. And that's what verses 12 through 14, which we read, were all about. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they'll do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Bold words. Words that I'll bet, like me, you've puzzled over quite a bit. Because they don't really seem to be very true, do they? So let's think it through. The first thing to remember is that, is that this is in the context of Jesus saying, and now, you know, I've got all this stuff with you settled in. You've looked out for yourself and there's trouble within yourself and, and that's all bit. But, but now, but now let, let's remember the context. Now what I want you to do is from this place that you understand how you can look out, I want you to think about other people and not yourself. I want you to think about the mission and not yourself. I want you to think about the glory of the Father and not just yourself. You see this, you've got this base, you've been healed, they've got you through this trouble, I am the way, the truth, and life, all these things. But that's not just for you. Look out. So that's the context that we've got to remember. So what is he saying? He says, well, the first thing is, he says, well, you know, you're going to do even greater things. What does he mean by that? How can we possibly do greater things than we just finished saying that Jesus is God? I mean, he's done some pretty neat stuff. I mean, as we saw before we started off into this whole thing of the book of, 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 of glory, the central penultimate sign, the, the sixth sign before the perfect seventh sign of his resurrection is he rose Lazarus from the dead. That's a pretty good miracle. I don't know how much greater than raising somebody from the dead you can think of. So what does it mean then? Well, it could possibly mean this. And this is kind of a common understanding and I think it's largely true. And then as I got Jesus saying, that, listen, what you need to understand is I'm going to send the Spirit. And the Spirit who dwells within me that enables me to listen to the Father and do these miracles, that same Spirit is now going to live in you. And there are going to be millions of you. And you're not going to be restricted to a few villages in one country. It's a backwater. You're going to be spread throughout all of the world and take this news of the way, the truth, and the life, and the power of the Holy Spirit around all of the world. And so, just in number and breadth, you do greater things than me. Because there's so many more of you that the Spirit is going to empower. But there's another thing that, as I studied on this, and different scholars or whatever was reading about it, said, you know, let's not forget this little phrase. You're going to do great things to me. And then he goes on, he says, because I'm going to the Father. <clears throat> and that is in part, you know, that God will intercede, you know, Father doesn't do this. But it's probably this. That until Jesus died on the cross, until Jesus was laid in the tomb, until Jesus rose from the dead, until Jesus ascended on high to sit at the right hand of the Father, the gospel message, the good news message was not complete. And until Jesus at the right hand of the Father and the Father and the Son sent the Spirit 
upon his people, and not just prophets and kings, but upon all people, so that young men and young women would dream dreams and have visions and speak tongues and speak in prophecies and all those prophet words that came out of the Spirit's life when we get into Acts chapter 2. Until that was done, the story was not complete. And so what he's saying to them is that, listen, you are going to get to say something greater than I have been saying so far because I've just been hinting that I'm going to die. I've just been hinting that I'm going to pay for the sins of all humanity. I've just been hinting that there is life after death. I've just been hinting that in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to dwell within you and make you into one people. I've just been hinting at this great news, but after I've died and been buried and raised from the dead and ascended to heaven and ascended to spirits, you get to tell the whole story. You get to give the big picture and that's greater it's a greater message than I've been able to give because now you can speak this message and live this message and share this message to all people in all its completion and for that God will be glorified God will be glorified and the darkness of not only your life but the lives of those around you can be split apart and the light can flood in. So we face trouble in life. And, and God recognizes this. And so he says, look out, trouble's coming. Look out. So how do we handle it? Well, for me, I think there's like five things that I kind of boil down into this. Number one, is to get outside of our feelings and self-absorption and look to the God that we can trust. To not allow ourselves to get into that spiral that I, I bet many of us have sort, we've sort of been caught in it. You know, you know what I'm talking about. But to look out to God. Number two. To get and maintain the larger perspective that we dwell in the very presence of God Almighty. We dwell in his house, in his presence. And he has all of the resources necessary to get us through this difficult time. And those resources are available to us and freely given. Number three. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And his way is the way through our trouble. His way is the way through our darkness. His truth is what's going to rescue us from the despair and the shame and the guilt and the confusion or whatever it is that he sends upon us in darkness. His truth gets us through that. And so that is the way which will bring us to abundant life. And number four, I just need to keep getting to know Jesus better. I, I just need to, to just know him better. You know, one of the goals you have this time is igniting a passion for God and for others. And, and so, you know, one, one of the things we've been doing, we, uh, Dave did the first uh, set and so in February, Chris is going to lead through these just daily reflections on Jesus. Just so that we can know him better. And if you want to be a part of that, just email Chris and he'll, he'll get you signed up for those daily email devotions for the month of February. So I don't know however you want to do it, but I, I just need to know Jesus better. And you do too. Because there's no end to the depth of who Jesus is. No end to the learning 
that we can understand who he is. And number five, I need to remember that Jesus has come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit so that we can do life well. But to not only do life for ourselves, but to do life on the mission of Christ for the sake of other people. Because in that is joy in the midst of trouble. Because we experience God himself flowing through us and transforming the lives of other people who are in need of our help. You know, I was driving here and I was thinking about this stuff that I'm going to say. Now, I did say. And I thought, you know what? That's all a pile of hogwash if I'm not a Christian. Unless, unless I take very seriously how radically different the Christian life, the Christian worldview, the Christian heart is from my natural inclinations, the way of the world. Unless I take seriously that, no, no, no. When you say, Alan, that you're a follower of Jesus, that you believe he is the way, the truth, and the life, you, you are living in a different reality I suppose the world would say you're not living in reality at all. But what the scriptures teach is Jesus is the reality. The kingdom of God is the reality. And these other things, these other ways of life, these other worldviews, these other promises, they're actually the illusion. And I realized that, man, I have to get reconverted every week. Because the Spirit needs to continue to remind me of these truths. Because I so quickly drift into illusion and think that the things of the world are reality and the pressures of the world are reality, and the goals of the world are reality, and the values of the world are reality. And I have to come back to the Holy Spirit again and again and again. I say, Holy Spirit, show me Jesus again. Convert my heart again. Because if I don't live there, then the way and the truth and the life just sounds like hogwash. So Holy Spirit, I pray, we've been singing about that this morning, for you to, to come like a flood, like a sweep us away, like a fire to burn up the dross. And I, for one, need to be converted all over again. I suspect that many of my brothers and sisters here are in the same boat. And so when we come to times of trouble, internal or external, we follow a path that doesn't get us there. 
So convert me, Lord. Renew my heart again. Renew our hearts again. We depend upon you, Holy Spirit, to do this good work within us because we are so easily tempted away. And we saw last week, we, we stumble and we fall and we fail. But the good news is, let not your hearts be troubled. Because even when we are faithless, you are faithful. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would be faithful to us now and renew a steadfast spirit within us. For the sake of your glory, we pray through Christ. Amen.